I want to put a little bow on Jen's announcement about Trunk or Treat. I have a close friend who has a church downriver, very similar in size to Grace, and they uh, usually have about 10,000 people show up for their Trunk or Treat. I know. And I was like, dude, like, how do you do that? And he said, well, everyone gets excited about it, and everyone invites uh, their friends and their neighbors uh, to come. He said it's probably one of the easiest invites of the year. Nothing real threatening about coming to a trunk or treat, so you're not asking people to, uh, you know, it, it's just an easy invite. So I just want to encourage you. Uh, I really don't know what we would do if 10,000 people showed up, <laughs> but it would be pretty fun to figure it out. Um, we would just, I said earlier, sir, so we'd just go to Costco and buy one bag of candy and we'd have plenty. But anyway, <laughs> grab your door hangers, invite your friends, put the lawn signs out, uh, take two lawn signs if you want and Put them in two places in your yard. Whatever you got to do, but invite your friends. Uh, Before we get into Romans uh, 5, I want to talk for just a couple minutes uh, about Proposal 3 uh, that's going to be on the ballot this fall. Um, As a leadership here at Grace, uh, we are 100% united in our call to protect the unborn. Uh, In a minute, I'm going to read a statement from the elders uh, specifically about it, but what I want to say uh, before we do that, is I just want to recognize that the minute we begin talking about that, uh, it creates uh, tension. And some of that tension comes because some people, uh, either online or in the room, have been affected by abortion, and they still are struggling with that, and we would love to let you know that we love you, and that we would love to uh, be a part of uh, just whatever you need uh, from Jesus uh, in the wake of that. We've been teaching on grace for the last several weeks, and certainly... Uh, God's grace is for you is as much as it is for all of us. Uh, it also just creates uh, just some com- political confusion. Um, we are not a church that normally talks about anything from the political realm, but we did feel like it was necessary to talk about it. And the other thing I just want to say is, you know, we are called as a church uh, to bring the kingdom to the community. And if we do that well, uh, we can create a, a safe place where abortion isn't really even something that someone would consider. And that's what we should be about. We should be about creating a safe place where people know that they're loved, where people know if they're in a situation of an unwanted pregnancy, that there is an alternative and a good alternative and that we can be a part of that solution. So I just don't want to oversimplify what is a very complicated issue. As for Proposal 3 and the legislation, uh, I would just say, you know, these are my words, it's, it's not good for women, it's certainly not good for children, and it's not good for our state. Uh, This is the official response from the elders. Uh, The elders at Grace are united in our belief that all human life has dignity and is worthy of our full and unwavering protection. This includes those who are most vulnerable. The Bible commands that we speak up for the voiceless and we advocate for their rights. That's Proverbs 31.8. It is because of these values, upon careful review of the exact language and implications of Proposal 3, we believe it to be out of step with the gospel and oppose to the teaching of scripture. Uh, Here's what I would encourage. I would encourage you to look closely uh, at the entire ballot this fall. I would encourage you to exercise your God-given right to vote. It is a right, and it's a right we shouldn't take for granted. I encourage you to pray earnestly. God, how do you want me to vote? Not just about Proposal 3, about, about this entire ballot, and then get out there and exercise that right that God has given you. Let me just pray. Lord, thank you uh, for today. Thank you for the opportunity for us to speak on a sensitive issue. Pray that it would be received in the heart that it was put out there. 
that people would know that they are loved. And I do pray that we would be a bigger part of the solution, not just by the way we vote, but by the way we live and the way we uh, function as a church and as a community of believers. I'm going to ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Romans 5. So uh, Meg and I have been coming to Grace for 28 years. Uh, I've been on staff for about a little less than 17 years. And in all my time at Grace, um, I don't think I've ever been more excited about a teaching series and the engagement that we are seeing amongst you, uh, the church. And uh, this high-level engagement tells me that you are excited and hungry for the Word of God. I have had countless conversations. I had some of them even today in the lobby of people who are so excited about Romans, who are reading Romans, who are journaling about Romans, who are, who are diving into this, this series, and I love that, and it, it's been an encouragement to, for me to see. Um, I just wanted to share with you that we have sold over 400 of these journals. That's incredible. That means that 400 of you are engaged in this and that you're using these. Yeah, you should clap for that. Super encouraging. Uh, we only have a few more left if you want to buy one there at the information counter. But we sold uh, hundreds of the Bible studies. And I just want to say, good job. I I'm glad that you are with us. I think that God is preparing us uh, for something more. I think he's laying the foundation for something that he desires to do in this church and through this church. We believe revival is coming, and we believe that God wants to use us as a part of that revival. So with the revival in mind, we have a, a group of people here, the prayer team, who are going to be hosting a revival night. Um, the idea there is just uh, October 30th, 7 p.m. in the chapel, which those of you who don't know, if you just go out these doors, make a hard left. We have a room on the other side of that wall called the chapel. It's a beautiful, sacred space. Uh, we're going to meet in there. It's not really a programmed sort of evening. There's just going to be a time of extended worship and extended prayer, just asking God to uh, use us, prepare us, and to bring about revival. And uh, just so you know, if you're willing to pray for revival, he's going to say, okay, let's start with you. So if you're going to come, you're going to pray, you're going to have to be ready for that. All right, we're in week five of the series on Romans. Uh, I'm going to be teaching on the first 11 verses of chapter five. Uh, but before we do that, what I want to do is I want to recap just a little bit of where we've been, and I want to kind of point forward to where we're going. So if you look at the first four chapters of Romans, you could categorize those first four chapters as the heart of of the gospel. The writer Paul has gone to painstaking lengths to tell you this is what the gospel is and this is what the gospel is not. Over and over he's reiterating the truth of the gospel and the thread that runs through it is we are all, underline the word all sinners, that we are all under the penalty of sin and that we are all in desperate need of God's grace. Right? And, and the great news of those opening chapters is that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are exonerated from the penalty of sin. We are, if you will, seen as just or no longer guilty before a holy God. Major threads of chapter 1 through 4 is what we call justification by faith, which means we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, it's a gift so that no one 
can boast. So that's chapters 1 through 4. So now we get to chapters 5, and really 5 through 8. Paul is switching gears, and now he's answering the question, so what? So you've been justified by faith, so you're, you're now a follower of Jesus, you now have your ticket punched, you get to go to heaven, so what difference does the gospel make in your day-to-day life? That's the question he's answering. For the next four weeks, as we look at the next four chapters, the question that's in front of us is, what difference does the gospel make today? Not in your eternity, but in your day-to-day life, what difference does it make? It's a question that we all have a vested interest in answering, I'm sure. Chapters 1 through 4 is the heart of the gospel. gospel. Chapters 5 through 8 is the assurance of the gospel. And by assurance, we mean a, a positive declaration or truth. Right? It's, it's this idea that you know something deep in your spirit that gives us confidence and allows us to live into the promises of God. The gospel is, is there in such a way to give us assurance so that we can live that gospel out in the day-to-day operations of our lives. One more quick point before we unpack chapter 5. Romans is hard. Romans is complicated. Romans is packed full of theology. It is absolutely impossible for me or Kevin, me, Kevin, Stacy, and Bryce to cover everything that's in Romans in 12 half-hour to 40-minute sermons. There just is too much in there. So if you want to get all that there is out of Romans, get the journal, get the Bible study, be reading Romans, but also be talking about Romans with others who are on the journey. Wednesday, uh, I had my one of our meetings was with just Kevin and I, and we began to talk about Romans 5. And I can tell you, Romans 5 became even more clear for me as Kevin and I processed what we were learning. And he talked about what he was learning, and I talked about what I was learning. And that conversation helped me to solidify some of what I'm teaching, but some of what I just needed to see. So talk about it with one another. Find some other people who are on the journey of Romans 2, and just talk about what are you seeing, what are you learning. It's going to help you to understand more. So now, grab your Bibles. You guys were wondering if I was ever going to get there. I'm there now. Grab your Bibles, grab your journals, turn to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read those first 11 verses. If you're using the journals uh, that you bought, we're on page 24. If you're using the Bible under your seat, we're on page 942. I know I say this every week, but if you're new at Grace, you wouldn't know this. But if you do not own a Bible and you need one, we encourage you to keep the one that's under your seat. Uh, If you are online, thank you for joining us and you need a Bible. Uh, you can come to the church anytime. We will give you a Bible, or if you even type in the comments there, which I'm not exactly sure how you do that, but I know there's a way to do that. I need a Bible. We will find a way to send you a Bible. We want you to have your own Bible so that you can study the Word at home. So why don't you stand with me as I read Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. You got it? He's got it. Nobody else. You got it? Much better. All right, Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Paul writes, Therefore, therefore, since you have the gospel, therefore, since all of this that I just talked about, right? So therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance, 
produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Romans. Thank you for this Sunday where we can stand in the congregation together with freedom. Even as I I pray that, I think of the places that we have ministered to and we currently minister to where, where this gathering would be illegal. Where reading a passage on suffering would have a completely different connotation because their friends are being imprisoned or even martyred because of their faith. Lord, help us not to take our freedom for granted. Help us not to forsake the gathering of the saints. Lord, our prayer this morning is the prayer that that we pray every week, that we would leave different than we came, whether we're here in person or on this broadcast, that we would leave different because we have encountered the living God. I pray that you would speak a word to each and every person that hears my voice, that you would speak a word to them, that they would leave different because of that encounter with you through your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Hey, if you were reading along, i sure you took notice to the fact that I didn't read the whole chapter. Some of that was just for time's sake. But the other reason is Paul seems to, to make a little bit of a shift when he gets to verse 12 through the end. And it's sort of like two different thoughts. And I couldn't preach on both of those thoughts. But I do want to give you the cliff notes for verses 12 through the end of the chapter. So Paul is talking about the curse of sin. And what he says is the curse of sin came to us through one human person, one man, and he's talking about Adam. And because the curse came through one human person, the only way to reverse the curse or to, uh, to, to, to remove the curse was that, that that would also come through one man, one human, and that was Jesus. That is the power of the incarnation. That is why Jesus had to come, and he had to come fully man and fully God, fully human and fully God, because that was the only way to reverse the curse. The other thing he's saying in that is to keep in mind that he did this for you even though you were still a sinner, or he says you were an enemy of God. God showed his love by moving towards you and pursuing you. So that's the cliff note. So when you read those remaining verses in your study time, that'll give you just kind of a a framework for what Paul is trying to say, but, but what the question we're going to answer this morning from verses 1 through 11 is, is what do these verses have to do with assurance of the gospel, of walking out our faith with Jesus on a day-to-day basis? 
the precepts that we see in verses 1 through 11 are critical for us to understand and critical for us to apply if we are to stay on the spiritual journey. All of this is about how to stay, stay faithful to God through the hardest of seasons in our lives. So to really understand uh, what Paul is addressing, we have to understand the, the ancient world culture. And in the ancient world, they operated with a system that I would just call uh, cosmic spiritual karma. Now, they would never use the word karma. That's kind of a whole different word that didn't exist in the, in the original Greek. But, but, but they, they operated by karma. Karma is good things happen to good people and bad things happen to, to bad people, right? It's just a, a basic belief. So, so if your uh, children were sick, it's because you sinned. If you got sick, it's because you, you sinned. If, if, the, if your crops fail, it's because you sinned. Any kind of pain, calamity, difficulties all come from this, this misconception that, that good happens to good and bad happens to bad. You can see it in the, in the ancient world when we begin to look at the, the stories of Scripture. Now, Again, they didn't use the word karma. I'm just using that because that's a word that, that we understand, right? But it's deeply ingrained in the culture. So deeply ingrained in the culture that Jesus, one of Jesus' very first sermons, as he goes into public ministry, he says to them, blessed are you when you mourn. Now, nobody would mourn if something bad hadn't happened. Like, we don't mourn the good things. We mourn the bad things of our life. So blessed are you when you mourn. You may have thought that you're a bad person because a bad thing happened. But blessed are you when you go through a hard time. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. What is Jesus doing? He's turning the whole idea of karma on its head. He's dismantling this faulty worldview about karma. Right? If you're, again, in the ancient world, if you were sick, it's because you sinned. If, if you had problems, it's always because you sinned. That's why, even in the Old Testament, you remember the book of Job? And Job has all of this calamity come upon him, and his kids die, and his whole business uh, is, is, is ruined, and, and he's got boils all over his body. We can safely say he was suffering, right? And so what do his friends say? Job, you just need to repent. You're a bad person. You've done a bad thing. Bad things are happening to you. If you just would repent, then everything would go better for you. The story of Job is that Job was more righteous than anyone else. He didn't need to repent. It wasn't about a bad thing happening to him because he was a bad person. So we see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Remember in John chapter 9, I'm pretty sure it's in John 9, when the disciples and Jesus are, are walking together, and they see the man born blind from birth. Remember that story? And the disciples say to Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? Who sinned that this man was born blind? Why would they say that? Because they bought into a worldview of karma. Bad things are happening to him. Something bad must have brought it about. So who sinned? And what does Jesus say to him? He said, neither. This man nor his parents sinned. But then he says something absolutely profound. He says, this has to happen so that the work of God might be displayed. Listen to those last words. This happened that the works of God might be displayed. This happened so that God could show up strong in this blind man's life. This happened so that everyone who is watching me and seeing me minister him will see the glory of God in this moment and in this man. 
I have some interesting homework for you. The due date is way out there, but when you get to heaven, after however long it takes, you're going to be there a long time, and eventually, yeah, no, you can clap for that. That's a good thing. And eventually, you're going to meet this guy. Now, how do I know that? Well, because if you're going to spend eternity, we're probably going to meet everybody at some point, because that's a long time. But when you meet him, I don't have any idea what his name is, but he'll say, I'm that guy, that you know, that one guy that was born blind from birth. So when you meet him, I want you to ask him, was it worth it? I want, I want you to ask him, though, really, like all those years of being blind and literally having to beg at the temple for your existence, was it worth it? Was it worth your encounter with Jesus? And you know what he'll say? There's no comparison. He'll say, no, absolutely, it, it was totally worth it. To have the encounter that I had with Jesus. Or think about the, remember the woman with the bleeding problem? She was, she was shamed. She was told she was a bad person, right? She had no self-dignity because of her health issues. And she, she has this opportunity to encounter Jesus. He touches the hem of Jesus' robe and, and she experiences the healing of Jesus. And then Jesus sees her and looks at her and talks to her. Ask her when you run into her and say, was it worth it? Would you do it again? You know what she'll say? There's no comparison. My encounter with Jesus far exceeded the pain that I've experienced. The point of chapter 5 is to let us know that, that after you find Jesus, right, after you've been justified by faith, once you've experienced the gospel, here, I got some news for you. The, the point of chapter 5 is you're still going to have some problems. You're still going to have troubles. You're still going to experience hard times. And chapter 5 is saying, but as a recipient of the gospel, as a person who has said yes to Jesus, in every difficult experience, there is a God-infused redemptive opportunity. I'm going to say that again. In every difficult experience, there is a God-infused redemptive opportunity. The key word there is opportunity. It's not automatic. The redemptive promise that, that God is doing something more than you can understand, that there's good that's going to come, even if you can't see it in this lifetime. There is good that's happening. There is a redemptive purpose. And whether that happens or not is determined by how we respond to the trial or the difficulty. All right, so look at the passage with me. And what I want you to do if you're using your journal or if you're writing in your Bible is I want you to circle or underline any time I read or you see the words, we have. These are declarative statements that, that Paul is writing saying we have. So these we have statements that you'll see throughout all of these verses. So it starts in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the gospel, because you have been saved, because you have been justified by your faith, not by your works, not because you did anything, but simply because you believed in Jesus, now you have peace. What does that mean? Regardless of your circumstances, in good times and in bad times, you have the opportunity to experience the peace of God in your life. Jesus is our peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. And the peace I give you, it's not like the world gives. And then he says, so don't be troubled and don't be afraid. This Greek word for, 
for peace. In, in the Greek New Testament, it's erene, but it's their word to describe shalom, which became part of the, the Jewish greeting. Shalom, shalom, shalom. It's, it's a way they, they blessed it over each other. But the idea of shalom is just this deep inner peace, regardless of the chaos around you. A good way to say it is being internally settled when everything externally is unsettled, right? This shalom peace, it's, it's peace even in the most horrific of circumstances. God promises to be our peace. And what a difference this peace would make if we were to tap into it, if we were to live into it, if we were to experience God's peace, it would transform our families. It would transform our workplace. It would transform our schools. It would transform our community. It would certainly transform our church. But this is the promise, the assurance of the gospel in the day-to-day living, right? Regardless of circumstances, you have access to peace, deep inner peace. Look at verse 2. Therefore, or through him, we have, there's another we have statement for you to underline, also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Three we have statements so far. We've been saved, we have peace, a peace that passes all understanding, and we have 24-7 access to grace. This is huge. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you receive the gospel, you are extended grace. Something happens. There is a transaction that takes place. This is what the whole sermon was about last week. Thank God that that we go through that transaction. But what this passage is saying is is we have assurance and hope that, that God is in it. And grace is being continually poured out. Get this. Grace is being poured out into our lives on a day to day basis. And because grace is being poured out to us, look at what it says. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have an eternal perspective. We understand that there are parts of this life that, that, that don't make sense to us, but we can have hope in the glory of God, that this is not the final chapter. There's more that's going to happen in our lives. So we have this rejoicing in the hope, the assurance that God is up to something good, even when we can't see it. God is up to something good even when we can't understand it. We have assurance and the hope that God is going to be glorified. And so we rejoice. But then look at what verse 3 says. Not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our suffering. And I get to that point and I just say to myself, really? Like, Really? And I think what throws us off is, is that word rejoice. I think we misunderstand what, what Paul is trying to say. He's not tr- saying you have to be happy about your suffering. Look, if I were to, to fall and break my leg, I'd, I don't have to call Meg and say, great news, honey. I broke my fibia. Oh, it's awesome. Think of the opportunity I have to glorify God with a broken leg. Right? That's not what it's about. That's silly. Like we don't have to pretend a bad thing is a good thing. Right, the, the rejoicing, it, it, there's a nuance to this word rejoice that we see in both verses 2 and 3. Sometimes it's translated boast, and sometimes the word is translated exude. Right, and the word rejoice in the Greek su- suggests this like deep confidence in the bigger picture. Right, it, it's a confidence that God is at work for his good even when I don't understand. 
right? It's this idea that, that in every circumstances, I can rejoice because there's something more going on. There's something bigger going on. But there's also a redemptive, personal redemptive opportunity in suffering. Look what it says, the rest of verse 3 and 4. He says, we rejoice in our suffering because it produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The reality is, we seldom grow apart from suffering. Our faith is forged and fortified. It's strengthened in suffering. Our character is tested and proven in suffering. Our ability to access the peace that Jesus is talking about really comes only when we go through intense seasons of suffering. I mentioned earlier that we need to understand that this is not an automatic promise of Scripture. How we respond to the trials and difficulties that come our way make all the difference. The point of the passage is every person in this room is going to go through seasons of difficulties. Many of you already have. We're going to lose someone we love or deal with a bad diagnosis for ourselves or someone we love. We're going to have seasons of relational chaos. And how you respond as a recipient of the gospel makes all the difference. You can lean into God and the promises of God or you can go your own way. The promise of Romans 5 is regardless of what life throws at you, you have access to faith, you have access to peace, you have access to hope, and hope never disappoints. So then we get to verses 6 through 11. And Paul is, is telling us that our confidence comes from our understanding that God pursues us, that God loves us, that even when we are enemies, that God came after us. And look what it says in verse 11. It says, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's that same word, rejoice again. Have confidence. We have the opportunity to exude this truth. I love the word exude. It just basically means to proclaim or to display an emotion or a quality. We have the opportunity to exude the glory of God, to live our lives in such a way that others see Jesus in us. In verse 11, it gives us the last of the we have statements. So if you're following my lead and circling or underlining the we have statements, this we have statements brings us full circle back to the fact that we've been saved. It says, we have now received reconciliation. So we've been saved, right? Through faith, our eternity is secure. We have peace. Jesus is our peace. Jesus promises to give us peace. We have 24 access to grace. Grace is not a once and done experience. It is this ongoing pouring out that God is pouring out his grace in us and through us as believers and we have been reconciled there was a time when you were severed 
when you were apart from Christ, but in Jesus, in faith, you are now grafted in. You become part of the vine. And if you're connected to the vine, then you can bear fruit. And what is the fruit? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. You are connected to the vine. You have his power. You have his strength. You have his grace. And, and you're not left to figure all this out on your own. I started this morning by talking about this deeply rooted worldview of karma in the ancient world. And the challenge this morning is for all of us to realize that we probably buy into more of the karma thing than we realize. Now here's where I need to be clear. Sometimes bad things happen because you make destructive choices. Sometimes bad things happen because you're doing a bad thing right? But if we buy into the anything bad means I'm a bad person, it will create shame and difficulty. And the point of this passage is to say that you have the opportunity to have victory in your suffering. Amen. Woot, woot. Somebody actually said woot, woot. I heard that out there. <laughs> it's been a fascinating few weeks for me, and I think it's just got, been God's way of uh, preparing me for this sermon. But I've had uh, multiple conversations with people at Grace, um, some of them direct conversations and some of them secondhand conversations about individuals uh, who have been a part of the Grace family who have literally walked away from their faith. In almost every case that I can think of in every case, uh, it's because they went through a difficult season. I think somewhere in their spirit was this deep, sorry about that, Somewhere in their spirit was this deeply held conviction that I said yes to Jesus, now everything's going to be perfect. And then when everything wasn't perfect, they said no to Jesus. Well, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. They, they failed to realize that Jesus was pretty clear. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So some of those individuals, right? You guys know you're clapping because I just said Jesus said you're going to have trouble. I just want to <laughs> point that out. Some of those individuals walked away because they weren't experiencing the peace of God that I'm talking about. They were in the storm and God seemed far away. And sometimes we got to operate on faith and not on feeling. And sometimes as we operate on faith, as John was even talking about in the worship, then, then God shows up. And what I can tell you that is if you lean in, if you, if you put your faith into action, the peace of God will show up in the circumstances. I think in many cases, the catalyst for losing their way was turning to false comforts. Scripture is crystal clear. If you cling to anything other than God to get you through the crisis, you forfeit the very thing that God wanted to give you. One of my life verses is from Jonah. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace God has for them. It's one of my life verses because I am the master of clinging to the wrong things. So let me ask you, what are your false comforts? When things are difficult, where do you turn? Is it food? Is it alcohol, some kind of substance abuse? Is it pornography? Is it the need to control and to, to get your control back? Is it the internet? Is it binge-watching some stupid show that just dulls your mind. 
Because when you cling to anything other than Jesus, when you are going through the difficult situation, you miss out on the one thing that Jesus is promising, peace, hope, comfort. And here's the deal, while I've watched and grieved, it breaks my heart to watch people walk away from the faith, I've also had the incredible privilege of walking beside and watching many of you live out Romans 5. When our sister Kayla Dupree received her diagnosis of leukemia, we all watched as her and Pastor Kevin leaned into God. We watched as God forged their faith and and took them to deeper places. We witnessed God pouring his grace into them through this body and through his Holy Spirit. They received this sustaining grace that carried them through when they didn't think they had enough in their own to get through it. We watched as the hospital staff took note there's something different about Kayla. There's something different about the way she's responded. They were seeing Jesus in Kayla. They were seeing the glory of God in Kayla. I called Kayla on Wednesday and asked her for permission to share this. And I asked her, I said, Kayla, after going through this horrific experience, how are you different? And then I asked her, in knowing all that you know now, would you go through it again? She said, God has taken me to new places. She said, my faith is so much stronger now than it's ever been. And she said, Pastor Doug, I'm surprised you asked the question, and I'm more surprised that I would answer this way. But yeah, I would do it again. To have the encounter that I had with Jesus, I don't want to, but I'd do it again. She said when she was isolated and wondering if she was going to live or die, all she had was Jesus. She experienced him in ways that she didn't even know possible. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Kevin and Kayla are good people. They were walking with Jesus. They were doing the very thing that, that God had asked them to do. They had moved to Detroit out of nothing other than a sense of obedience. They didn't even know what Detroit was holding for them. They were walking in obedience. And they could have just as easily said, God, after all we've done for you, this is how you're going to treat us. They could have walked away from their faith, right? They could have rebelled against the, a God and said, this isn't fair. Look at how we're serving you. If they'd have bought into this idea of karma, It could have derailed them. They could have bailed. But they didn't. They leaned in. And God did more than they could ask, think, or imagine through the work of his spirit. And they're not alone. I've seen Romans 5 lived out in the Pinars. As they've walked through unimaginable suffering and pain, losing a son. I've seen Romans 5 lived out in the Rockos. I will always hold on to the memory of David. David Rocco standing, sorry, standing on this stage at his son's funeral. 
proclaiming Jesus to the youth. I've seen it lived out in the Sharons and Elizabeth. Their lives point to Jesus in the wake of years and years of suffering. I've seen it lived out in Paula, the way she handled her cancer treatment. I've seen it in Tracy, who works here, who's lost a a husband and a daughter in just the last year or two. Yet she exudes Jesus. I could do this for a long time because I've seen it in so many of you. The one thread that's true in every one of these stories is that the families exude hope and faith in God when it doesn't really make sense. God is glorified. Amen. Here's the deal. You don't have to go looking for suffering. Right? You, You don't even have to be happy when it comes. The point of Romans 5 is it's going to come. You're all going to face difficulties or have faced difficulty. And that path can lead you to more of Jesus or it can just lead you to more pain. My encouragement to you is to choose Jesus. I want to leave you with one more passage from Scripture kind of as a way of just sealing this point. You know the Apostle Paul as he wrote this incredible letter that we're studying Romans, but he wrote a lot of the other epistles. And in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to us, he's writing to the readers. And he says to them, for we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, we don't want you to be unaware, sisters, of the affliction that we've experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. What is he saying? It was so bad, it was so hard, we thought we were going to die. That's a pretty big level of suffering. Dude, I mean, Paul's been through a lot. Shipwrecks, snake bites, beatings, left for dead, betrayed by his closest friends, lots of suffering. But he gets to this point point. he says, I had to suffer to the point of death. Look what it says over that. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on a God who raises the dead. Even the Apostle Paul had to go through a season of refining, a season of strengthening, a season of suffering. Now, it's pretty good odds that when he was in the middle of it, Paul didn't know what was going on. I'm pretty sure he wasn't like, well, this is good. I'm glad that I'm about to die. This is all great. This is, right? I'm sure it was hard. I'm sure he was in a lot of pain while it was happening. But in hindsight, he could see that God had to take him there in order to bring him to the place so that he could reach his full redemptive potential. I was talking about this verse with Kayla when we talked on Wednesday, and she said, Pastor Doug, I have goosebumps. That's exactly my experience. When I thought I was alone in that hospital room, when I thought I was going to die, everything else was stripped away, and Jesus was my only hope. And thanks be to God, to the glory of God, he always shows up. So when trouble comes... 
and it's going to lean into Jesus. When you are under attack, and there are times where you will be, lean into Jesus. When the world doesn't make sense, and there are certainly times it won't, lean into Jesus. The promise of Romans 5 is Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. He is your hope, and he is your peace. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Romans, and I thank you for this body. I thank you for uh, the many individuals that I talked about and those that I couldn't for the sake of time where I've watched if they have journeyed through the hardest of hard and never taken their eyes off of you. How they have helped me to see you. How they've witnessed to our community, to our neighborhoods through their suffering. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk faithful with you in the midst of difficulties, that we would lean into you and that we wouldn't chase any false comforts. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's a group of people that prayed for you before the service. Someone is struggling with doubts and feeling double-minded. We'd love to pray for you. God desires to bring strength in your weakness. There's some who are probably dealing with depression. We would love to pray for you. In the first service, there was a real sense that there's someone who's suffering with some shoulder issues. We would love to pray over you if that's part of what you have. So if you're here in the room, you have a physical, spiritual, a little bit of both uh, needs, we would love to meet you down here. We have people who are trained that will pray with you. If you're online, there's probably a couple numbers on the bottom of your screen right now. You can call either of those numbers, and they will put you into a private appointment where they can pray for you. Come back next week as we dive into Romans chapter 6. God bless you. Thank you. Go hang these on doors. <laughs> yeah, they're odd. Too.